0: Hi everyone. Welcome to Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. I'm Langdon DeMint.
1: And I'm Julian Taylor.
0: And welcome to our podcast. Welcome everyone to the Two Bald Guys podcast. I'm Langdon DeMint and I'm here with my dear friend, Julian Taylor. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you, Langdon? I'm good. It's been a busy couple of weeks, busy couple of days as we're now getting close to the
1: holiday seasons. How are things on your end? All good. We got a chance to catch up, which was which was great. London had a bit of a flying visit to the UK, so we got a chance to catch up down in the down in the smoke, as they say over here.
0: Yeah, it, it's funny. I, I, it's funny. Don't you wish that you could almost record or release both of them? So the last time we did a podcast, if you recall, everyone we were side by side. I wish that they came out. Like almost at the same time, because then it's like I'm there in London, teleported, teleported back to Nashville. Yeah, magically, I wouldn't be. So, but it was good. Um, I enjoyed our time together and being able to, being able to be there in person always,
1: I think, makes it a little,
0: a little bit of a different feel on the podcast.
1: So, yeah, and we'll we'll go back to our team and we'll get them to work on the the teleporting and see if we can yeah. make that a thing. A yeah, little black brain. magic. Yeah. Um,
0: but no, it's, it was, again, a great, great being together and a great. Hopefully everyone was able to pick up a little bit from that podcast. And as we're kind of shifting, you'll hopefully, if you're not aware, we have one that we've done with EHS Daily. And in regards to that podcast, we were talking about you know every year at the end of every year. What do we hear, Jules?
1: It's always what? Trends. Blah, trends. blah, blah. Trends.
0: And yeah. you know, it, it's almost the little, it's like the little violin. You know, you get a little bit, and it, it's, it stinks, but it's always the same trends. Usually, I mean, not valid, there's some different ones. But if we talk about from a health and safety trends of what's happening from an incident standpoint, I mean, as far as incidents in the US, and I know it's pretty applicable over there in the UK as well, incidents and citations from OSHA or focuses it's always the same thing. And I'm not negating that. It's it's the same because that means there's usually some still needed attention to those areas. But why don't we shift it a little bit and instead of having a discussion on the same old trend, you know, our Hascom, our slip trip and falls that, we we got to talking and thinking, what if we transition that a little bit? And I think it's more of what are some things that we could focus on. So what are some top focuses, top if tip. you will, for next year? Yeah. Top tips.
1: Top there tips. Go. There you go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what are some top tips that we have for 2023? And again, when you listen to the podcast for the HS Daily, you will hear a a little more of a broad perspective. So we're going to, we've, we've kind of picked a few of the areas that we think uh, might be worth focusing on of how we can drive some, you know, again, continuous improvement, maybe even a little change management. And honestly, when we talk about that, it's even into the granular level within your organization. So we've decided let's spend a few minutes to to actually dive into that and discuss in, in regards to that topic. Jules, what do you think? Should we, you want to jump in? You want to lead us? Shall I lead in?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so you,
0: you take the first one.
1: I'll, I'll lead in and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to town on, on, on this sort of, I suppose, the... The thing that I've done for twenty years, which is training. Um see, that's why um, I
0: teed it up for you, see. There you go.
1: Thank you very much. Um so I I suppose I had a bit bit of a light bulb moment over the last few few months, um, which was you you look at the approach to training that we take in, in so many cases, and I'm gonna suggest that it's ineffective. And and I hold my hands up. I've delivered that kind of training and I've I've dragged groups of people into a training room for three-day sessions, bombarded them with information and, 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 and thought and hope that they would take that away and then put it into practice. And then we wonder why it doesn't happen. Um, and I think if you just reflect on yourselves, reflect on what the sort of training trainings that you've done, um, the, the trainings where you've, you've gone for a day, you've been away from the workspace, you've done a day of training, that knowledge isn't immediately put into practice. You go back to the workplace. When you do need to put it into practice, you you know it's in there somewhere, but you can't drag it out. You can't you can't remember the detail of it. And the example I always give is Excel. I must I've done countless Excel training courses and and I've learned some amazing stuff, Langdon. But ask me to create a pivot table at the moment and I, you yeah, and you could be, I, you could
0: be I, I took a whole semester on biostatistics. Yeah. I mean, no value, it was 12 years ago, but even right after.
1: I understand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So 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 I think what one of the tips for 2023 is let's stop just doing the same old things in terms of training. Um and I and I know the world moved on with e-learning, but I don't think I think e e learning was it helped didn't didn't still didn't resolve that problem. Um in that we take people away, we sit and we we force knowledge into them. Um and 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 the thing that I'm passionate about is, is coaching. Um, and, and actually, I think that's one of my top tips for 2023 is actually start to think about how you can create a culture of coaching across your organization. and And that can apply to any form of learning. It's not just health and safety. But actually, that relationship where you've got leaders, managers, supervisors, coaches, whoever it might be, but actually spending time with people at the point of work and actually talking with them about the way that they approach their work is far more powerful than just using training in isolation. We still need to train people. We can't get away from the fact that there are certain things we need to train people on. But actually, the really critical piece is then is how do we then reinforce that training in the real world? Um, so one of my things is coaching. and, and I, I I think one of the things we've been really successful with as a business is being coaching. Um and, and we the thing that made a difference was putting into place what we call cadences. So actually it means that each week at defined times coaching will happen. And there might be different approaches to the to, to that coaching. So it could be role-playing things, it could be sitting down and discussing one-on-one with, with somebody about the way that they've approached something. It could be reviewing training materials but on a one-to-one basis um so there are different approaches but it means that every week people know that there will be coaching sessions um and again as part of that approach to coaching is is look at the different levels of your organization so we want leadership to reinforce that leadership position we want them to coach each time they go out on the shop floor yeah go and talk about safety with people yeah um so top tip number one Don't just train people. You've got to reinforce it and support it with effective coaching.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think to that point, that's a good one. And it's because, so you think about, I remember when I, after I finished my master's, um, whatever, 12 years ago, I guess, when I went to work at a previous organization, and we did a lot of online health and safety training uh, in addition to consulting and other aspects. And, uh, you know, that was kind of the, that was a bridge that was a new you know it was a new thing at that point really really being proactive utilizing online training and you would sit there and take a 45 you know hour-long training online and and it really seemed to kind of be a game changer and then it transitioned realizing hey it's too long sitting there let's change it i'm i'm always a big proponent at the end of the day a blended approach anyways And that's the, some things need to be face to face. Some things have to be face to face, but some things can be online. But even with that, even if you keep doing it, if, if we keep trying to do it the same way, I I agree. It's, you're, you're just trying to get something across, but is there any real life applicability to it? But if we coach them, if we kind of help them learn, you know, kind of like that learning culture in all aspects, then it's the whole, you're getting in there with them and helping them see what, what could we do better? What, how does this really look in real life? Let's get, let's get hands on. Let's talk about what, how do you usually do it? What what could you do different? And that's a, you know, I think that's a definitely an improving area that we could make because there are some, there it's difficult when you have people that have done the job 10, 15, 20 years and you're trying to talk to them about what they've already been doing. And there's not a lot of, process changes you know
1: i mean you you've just prompted a thought there Langdon, which was was actually there's a there's just a danger with all of these things, isn't it? if we keep doing the same thing the same way all the time, you just hit fatigue, we just hit fatigue where actually people become a bit jaded and a, a bit unreceptive to it, so I think that's that's one of the sort of key things we're thinking about here is is forget about trends, but actually how can we start to think about doing things differently next year yeah um and we've been talking about things earlier today. I know we were having a conversation and we talked about sort of having that critical eye on, on the way that you do things, looking at things and saying, right, how do I have a critical eye to say, yeah, we may have done this for a long time and it might've been effective, but is it time to change? Yeah. Is it time to freshen up? Okay. Yeah. No, I think that's a great one. So everyone, there's our first,
0: first tip to focus on. Second, um, and I'll take this one or lead in for this one. It's how often, maybe I'll pose it in a question. How often do we look at incidents? Do we look at what's, what's happening? Our typical, typical incidents. We look when something happens, maybe it's a near miss, but we don't really focus on the critical elements of that incident or critical elements of that job before we even start or the potential that could lead to a a serious uh, injury or fatality. So basically Focus on your SIFs, your critical elements, your high hazard. Because what have we seen over the last few years? You know, incident rates—they've dropped. That's been great. When you think about it from the standpoint—if if we really take a large sample size of the last ten years or so, they've really dropped. We have seen a little bit of a plateau, but they've—they've they've dropped. You know, the last couple of years will skew those because of COVID and tracking of that. The illness perspective, but for the most part, we're doing pretty good on the on the routine, on the everyday incidents. But we're seeing fatalities, the serious injuries, they've kind of, they've moved up a little bit. So how can we better look at serious injury fatalities? How can we better look at critical elements and hazards before an incident begins? So, you know, we talk a lot about the pre-incident investigation and it's, Maybe if you don't do that process, you know I would, I would highly encourage you to. But even so, start thinking about it when you're creating your JHAs, when you're creating your standard operating procedures for a job. Just kind of incorporate it into that. Even if you're not at that level where you're going through and doing a full blown, let's think about a true incident or a fault tree analysis almost before it happens. Let's let's think about it from that perspective. And I think if we can, before a job it happens, if we can actually look and say, what are some critical elements? What are some things that where this job is so serious? We know that there are some high hazards. What if we can actually look at that and figure out how can we eliminate those? One, I mean, go through our hierarchy of controls, of course. And if that's not plausible, how can we at least minimize them to if they do fail, it fails to an acceptable level? And I think that's a that's another key element because we're seeing and serious injuries, are they're happening every day. So how can we look at the same old, same old, which we've always done and we're, we're going to continue to do it. And I highly encourage you to do that. Don't, don't stop. But how can we look at that, but shift the thinking just a little bit to actually consider, you know, and I use this example fairly regular, but to me, it's one of the easiest applicable ones. If I get on a ladder and I'm four rungs up and I fall on the grass, I'm probably okay right most likely if i'm on that same ladder four rungs up and i'm sitting on concrete or something more hard surface and i fall you know that that's a game changer that could potentially lead to a more serious if i hit my head there or fall right because of again because of the texture of the ground because of how hard it is and such there's a more serious potential there so it's looking at it and thinking you know, holistically as a whole, what what does this job actually entail? So let's refocus on what we've been focusing on, but from a
1: serious eye. Yeah. I've got to say, I think that that head is pretty hard. It'd have to be pretty hard stuff that you're hitting it on. But, um, and I, I, I agree. And I think lots of people, lots of people are doing great stuff out there, but I think it's a kind of it's just a a challenge to, to sort of rethink about the things that you're doing again, isn't it? So a lot of what we're talking about today is just rethink the things that you're already doing. And, and I think a lot of people, for example, if something is reported, whether it be an incident near miss or a hazard, they, they just look to resolve that thing that has happened or been reported. And what they don't do is almost take, have, have as a part of their process, some form of risk assessment that says, what could have happened yeah um so what 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 potentially what is the seriousness of what could have happened and actually that might just then change the resolution that you actually come to around that thing that has been reported or or, or been submitted
0: you know and no that's a great point and actually you you saying that just kind of sparked something as i'm thinking right now you know we get well, i'm not going to say we get we have over the last few years we've become so focused on a near miss and, but we're here, we haven't, this is no pre-screening. I'm throwing this out on Jules right now. Near miss to you is a, what type of
1: indicator? It's a lagging indicator.
0: I would you know, for a while, I think, and the principle that it was, it was, it was a leading indicator because it was leading from the standpoint, it was pre-incident with loss, but realistically, I 100% agree. It, it's a it's a lagging indicator. You know, we we you've seen the rusty lifting gear slide that I've used for yeah. a long time. But when you think about it, the only difference from a near miss to an actual incident with loss is a split second luck. You know, whatever have you. So if we can actually look at those and start thinking, you know, even more so, because yeah, near miss. If I'm just sitting here tracking near misses and looking at the SIF potential of a near miss, just exactly what you said, that's not, I mean, it can help prevent, but how many times do we have organizations now that they're getting so many near misses, they can't even keep up with it to actually track it like a full-blown incident with loss. And so I agree. I think that's when we have to figure out how can we re, again, refocus on that criticality on that SIF potential to actually kind of take it back and be more preventative. So that's, that was a good
1: call, Jules. And kind of alongside that, it's, it's thinking about, what do I do with that data? How do I manage that data? I was talking to a guy the other day and he was just, it was spreadsheet overload. It was, he had a spreadsheet for everything. Um, And he just said, I can't carry on doing this because the business is getting bigger. We're just about to recruit another hundred people. Um, So actually, Part part of what you've got to be saying as well is, is our whole approach fit for purpose? Because it doesn't matter how many near misses you get reported or how many hazards you get reported. Actually, if you haven't got the capability to then say right, okay, let's analyse this effectively. Let's take, let's let's apply some risk management to it. Actually, it's it it it's futile. Yeah. Okay. You want to take the third one? Okay, I'll take the third one. Um, I'm going to say let let's just go back to basics um and, and and again it's it's something we talk about all the time um people in our organization laugh at me when i start talking about kiss because i talk about it so often um but it's the most misquoted phrase that has ever been misquoted i would suggest um so it's it's that actually kiss stands for keep it stupidly simple and i love that as a, as an approach to life um mainly because if it's not simple i struggle to do it so um so it's it's but when you stop and think about so much of what we talk about it it has a direct effect on whether people are going to actually take part whether they're going to engage whether they're going to do things in a safe way whether they're going to report things i've seen over over the years all sorts of wonderful risk assessments or jhas for example people proudly say look at our seven page jha um well my 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 retort to that straight away is do you seriously expect someone to read that yeah when they're trying to do a job of work so we we have to simplify things i've seen page incident reporting forms with pages and pages again the same thing stop and think about it from your own perspective if you're faced with a form that's got seven pages what's going through your mind Langdon, what goes through your mind? If you were faced with a form with seven pages to complete, what goes through your mind? What
0: can I read to halfway understand it so I don't have to read everything? And I might I might, but you know what, sometimes I show initiative and I'll start reading the first page, and then I
1: decide no which goes through your point? so unless, yeah, and unless it's one spectacularly big box to tick on each page. Most people's approach is how can I do this or circumvent as much of this as possible. Pictures, Uh, yeah, (laughs) Uh, pictures. So, but but that's why so many health and safety professionals end up chasing their tail and 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 wasting time trying to gather information that they could have got in the first place if they'd simplified the process. Um, And and but but the the probably the thing that most happens most is unless there's an ambulance rocking up at the front door, people don't fill the form out, yeah? Um, and that applies to every single process in the health and safety management system. So if you think about people doing inspections, if you think about people doing risk assessments, um, fantastic example is, is, I think, is in the UK, we talk about COSH, you talk about HazChem, yeah? So hazardous chemical assessments. And and so often, what you see when you look at those is it's basically a, a, just a... Reproduction of the safety data sheet. Well, if you're talking to somebody working on a production line, maybe a maintenance engineer going to do a job of work on a production line, and they've got to use a chemical as a part of that process. Do you seriously think they're going to read through 16 sections on a on a cost on on a on a risk assessment? Not going to do it. So what you've got to do is be able to make it really succinct in terms of right, what is what is what does that person doing that part of the job need to do? Um yeah. Um it, it kind of reminds me of a bit of a quick story, which was, and, and it happened in a healthcare environment in the UK. I was talking to a, a health and safety professional there, and she I love her. She was, she was fantastic because she was just really sort of to the point. And, and, and she talked about chemical assessments. And she said, if you think about a chemical, and I'd never thought about this before I spoke to her. It's a few years ago. She said, a chemical in any organization has a life cycle. It's not one thing in one moment of time, so it might get delivered into into a stores in a in a big container um You might then have um some of it decanted into a smaller container to be taken to a point of work. You might then have the job that's being done with that particular chemical you might then have some kind of waste residue at the end of it, yeah, which then has to be disposed of and actually each one of those is a, is an individual task done by a different person. And and that person needs to be able to look at that risk assessment and go, bang! That's what I need to know. That's the PPE I need to wear. That's how I need to handle it. Yeah. That's 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 keeping it stupidly simple. Yeah. So I think top tip for next year is critical eye again. Take a critical eye, look at your approach to safety, and say, right, what can we simplify? Because that's going to help with engagement. I totally yeah. totally agree,
0: and. I'm- I think instead of even really expanding it to me, I'll just tie that straight into our final high level. And that's how can we how can we better make health and safety really integrated into all aspects so we have that great performance? So we have those safe operations. And I think what you said, honestly, that's a great lead in, because when you think about it. So I've done workshops on JHAs. I've created more JHAs than I even care to think about. But it is that aspect, you know, try to keep it simple. How can we, how can we make something that might be, you know, relatively complex? How can we break it up and put it as as simple, you know, like five steps, hit the high points, but hit the crucial elements. What hazards are associated, you know, pre post uh, controls? How can we really do that? And you want it to be as clean as possible versus something long, because just like you said, it's that whole, when I, when I look at, when I look at that especially if it's something I've done for a long time, I don't wanna read all that, even if it's something I've missed. So when we think about it, keeping things simple will help to ensure that it gets better buy-in no matter where it is. And I think that's one of the biggest things when we think about how to better integrate health and safety and, and understanding how that, that can help support the business right off the bat. Jules, what happens if, if I get injured? You can't play golf. I can't, well, no, that's true. So, sad note, everybody. We can't play golf, which is
1: the most important. But also, from a work standpoint, I can't work. Well, well, I mean, yeah, you can't work. And in, in I mean, in a serious instance, it, it means that actually work can't work. Work has to stop. And that's, you know, that's the big thing. So,
0: then, you know, we, we don't have to dive into all the direct and direct calls, you know, one's could be up to five times the, or indirect costs can be five times up to the straight direct cost. So we don't have to go down that. But you just think about that. There's a there's a big number that can be associated with every incident. I love looking at the, for those of you that haven't the, I guess I'm giving a slight plug to OSHA, but their safety pays calculator. I love that thing because it every couple of years it changes. It's they take in workers' compensation, um, the whatever insurance perspective. I, I don't remember what the official Organization is called, but they take those in, so they update the numbers. But you can see a simple carpal tunnel or a simple back injury, back strain. You can see the direct cost. You can put your profit margin to see how much I have to actually make as an organization to overcome that incident. How much the total cost is. So when you think about that, what what does one incident matter? Not even taking into the account the you know actual value of the person that we've we've injured, but from a financial standpoint. It's huge. There's a lot of profits that we have to make to counterbalance that. So when we think, why does health and safety actually matter within an organization? Well, it matters because most times you're only a second away from an incident and you're only another second away from that being even more of a serious incident, especially when we're, you know, right now we're what? Technically, I guess we're in a recession. Are we going into a deeper recession? Are we coming out? I don't know, but things can be tough. So one of the most sustainable things we can do is maintaining our
1: workers. Yeah. And I I think kind of aligned to that, just to to sort of wrap things like Langdon, I think is, is actually next year, I think for health and safety people to get a better understanding, get a better grip of how actually how safety, actually good safety supports your, your business in terms of better business performance. Um, I mean, and and the reason I talk about that is I think health and safety people need to become influencers. Yeah, they need to become influencers so they so they can draw in the other teams, the other departments, and and we can actually start to drive that safe operations, that approach of, of safe operations. But also, when you stop and think about safety, so much of it is actually reliant on investment. It's in you need investment into equipment, into processes, into people. Um, there's lots of investment that is actually needed if you're going to be, if you're going to move up that maturity scale and you're going to be great at safety. Um, and, and I don't think I'm being unfair to call this out here and say that traditionally safety people haven't been great influencers when it comes to trying to get that budget. Um, so I think that's one of my challenges is, is think about if you can understand how actually, yeah, if we can improve safety performance, we keep, we keep the, the, we keep the factory running, but also we retain our people. We have an effect on quality. Yep, yeah, we have an effect on productivity. If you can start to capture that more effectively, that's such a key part in any business case that you, you're gonna to need to take to your senior leadership to say, we need to do something. Yeah, yeah?
0: no, because, I, I mean, it's tough because we're not salespeople, but from a health and safety perspective, you have to have that art of selling because I have to sell the value of health and safety and why this even matters every day. That's a that's a fantastic point you brought up because we have to then how can and that's one of the I will say when I'm out, you know, with working with organizations, when I was out in the field a lot, one of the best things that I would always try to do, you're going to appreciate this, was creating camaraderie. And the only, but but I say that, you know, jokingly, but at the same time, it was walking around getting to know, you know, hey, John, how's your kids? You know, how's the family? How, whatever, X, Y, Z going. It's because letting them know, hey, I care, you know, building that rapport with everyone so that we can take it to that next step. Because, and that's why we always say it's not a safety culture. I'm not a safety culture proponent because there is a, there's a business culture, but how can we ensure that. Safety is embedded in all aspects. How can we ensure that safe operations is the heart? Because then just like you said, our productivity, our quality, our health and safety, they're all they're all together. It's one. And that's when you start seeing that that change. So I have to, as a safety professional, and hopefully you as well, listeners, for the safety professionals out there, it's how can you better influence your frontline employees, your frontline supers? your managers, your leadership. So you have leaders throughout, you have champions throughout that actually talk of why health and safety, why it actually matters. And, you know, putting it back to the basics, I think that's why we put that as one of those, one of the key tips for next year. That actually helps for that overall premise of putting it or ingraining it within
1: your organization. I don't think you meant to, but I think you came up with another great top tip there, though, which was, was was actually if you stop and think about what you're trying to achieve here which we're trying to achieve safe operations want people to buy in how's that going to work if you only go and talk to people when something's gone wrong or or when you need something doing so i think that 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 tip of actually go and build relationships go and build that camaraderie is is really important yeah so actually when what what you want is is a group of people out there who who don't say oh it's the safety guy coming, They say oh it's Julian coming or it's Langdon coming or it's John or whoever it might be or Sue, um, yeah. Who what what they do is they see you as a person, and you've got a relationship with them because if you've got that relationship, you're in a far stronger position to say, can we try something? Can we do something? Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. Okay. Yeah. Well, everyone, those are
0: our. Top tips for 2023. We could have more, you know. We, Joel's really likes to talk. I do too occasionally. So <laughs> we we could have a lot more. We tried to narrow it down. Um, if you haven't listened to the EHS Daily podcast, I would encourage you to go check it out. If you have, and now you're listening to this one, hopefully you have uh, gotten a little more insight into into some of our top tips for 2023. If you would like more tips. Give us a call. We'll probably
1: come up with more for you because there are a lot more, let's be fair. If somebody suggests that you you listen to anything that talks about trends for 2023, just say no. Go and listen to the bald guys. They'll give you some tips. Exactly. And then go back and listen to the trends. I'm sure there's something maybe different,
0: but exactly. So, Joes, it was good catching up. I enjoyed, enjoyed a few minutes with you.
1: Good to see you. Good to see you teleported back to back to Nashville, back to your family. Yep. Very delorean Back to the Future Style. And we will speak again soon. I'll just call you Doc Brown.
0: Please. I accept. Thank you. Everyone have a safe day. See y'all. Bye. Hey everyone, really appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Two Bald Guys Talking Safety. Please follow and subscribe to wherever you stream your favorite podcast,
1: or visit us at evotix.com. And if you want to see how follically challenged we really are, come and check us out on YouTube. If you've got value from the podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and in the review section of this podcast, if you could leave us a review or a rating, that would be great.
0: And as always, everyone, while you're going about your days, about your normal lives, stay safe out there, and watch each other's back.